Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Pump Fake post divisional round episode. Jarrett Bailey with you, joining me today from SB Nation, the wonderful JP Acosta. First time guest, JP Acosta. It's good to see you, my friend. How are you? It's good to see you too, man. It's awesome always being the. It's always awesome being the first time guest because you gotta kind of feel it out a little bit, kind of see right. what, you, what you can and can't do. But I'm excited. I'm excited. We had a, you know, people talk about divisional weekend as like you know the quote unquote best weekend of the football season. Um, I don't necessarily think it was that this past weekend. Obviously, I think it, I think it was the best group of teams. Um, but the games themselves, I mean, for lack of a better term, I mean, were very one sided. Uh, for the most part. Um, well, we can start with the um, we're going to go a little bit out of order because I do want to talk about Buffalo and Cincinnati. Um, you know, going into the game, all the talk was around, obviously, what happened 20, 22 days ago now at this point uh, in Cincinnati with the DeMar Hamlin incident and how that shaked up everything in the AFC playoff picture and why the game was being played in Buffalo. Um, right away, though, man, Cincinnati was just in control drive down the field. I think it was seven plays, 67 yards. Um, and then it's um, capped off with the touchdown pass from Joe Burrow to Jamar chase. And Cincinnati didn't look back whatsoever. Um, Hayden Hurst scores on the next drive for Cincinnati. It's 14, nothing. Um, and the bills just, this didn't look like they showed up. Cincinnati just owned them from the start. And um, it, Buffalo fans are obviously disappointed um, because because of the expectations placed on them coming into the year. Um, you know, they were the, the odds on Super Bowl favorite. But um, if you're Cincinnati, I mean, starting after their start to the season to where they are now, man, it is incredible what that team has done. So your, your thoughts on that game as a whole? My thoughts are, man, the Bengals coaching staff is amazing. With what they've been able to do with the talent that they have, being able to roll in three new offensive line starters and dominate a Bills team on the ground that I know they didn't have Vaughn Miller. That's still a very, very loaded defensive line group. Shout out Jackson Carmen. Yeah, Jackson Carmen played great. Cordell Volson, the rookie, played really well. Akeem Adeniji was filling in at right tackle, played really well. And one thing that I thought they did to kind of counter what the Bills do a lot is they got Teron Johnson involved in the action a lot. So they'll motion – Whenever they motion, the Bills will bump Teron Johnson into the box. And, you know, you don't really want to have your 190-pound slot corner taking on offensive tackles or guards. Sure. And they got into that a lot. They got into a lot of gap schemes, which I think was really good because last year their issue was they didn't do a lot of run schemes. They didn't they run the ball very well, and they only had one type of run. It was under center. But now they've kind of diversified that. They changed a lot of what they did in the middle of this season – and now you can see that coming to full fruition. And then the defense, man, they completely put a vice grip around the Bills' offense. They limited all the explosive plays. And what they did, they kind of fried Josh Allen's brain. They kind of they kind of had him seeing a little bit of things that weren't there. They had him thinking blitz when they weren't blitzing. And then as soon as he didn't think they were going to blitz, Mike Hilton's coming free off the corner and cracking him. So it was a really, really good defensive game plan and just – a massively like one team executed a whole lot better than another team. I'm glad that you brought up Mike Hilton because I think he had five pressure. He was sent on five blitzes, I believe, this game. And he got pressure on four of them, um, including the play that looked like it was going to be a fumble. It didn't end up being a fumble as an incomplete pass or whatnot. But whether it was, you know, the delayed 
um, slot cornerback blitzes by Hilton or just the simulated pressures that the Bills just can hit. Like Lou Anaromo deserves. I'm surprised he's not getting more talk about being a head coach, um, especially with, um, I know we're seeing defensive minded guys like D'Amico Ryans get looks and maybe he's a year away and that's fine. But what he did on the road um, in the elements against a team that many most expected to win that game, um, absolutely fantastic job holding Josh Allen and Buffalo to just 10 points on the game. So, yeah, man, it was – I'm glad that you also brought up the coaching staff as well as a whole because last year the conversation around Cincinnati was, all right, it's great that, you know, toss it to Jamar and pray is working, but eventually they kind of have to get more diverse in their offense. And after the first two weeks of this season, um, when the offensive line was struggling, I think they did that really well. You mentioned how they run the ball. They run a lot more out of gun. Now they got Samaj P Ryan, who's become more of a focal point of their offense spelling Joe Mixon. Um, it's very, very interesting to see how Zach Taylor's been like, Oh, okay, this is no longer working. What can I do to make things work with the guys that I have? And they're doing a very good job. I don't see anybody beating them right now. Like I get that Mahomes is great, but he's got the bum ankle. The Bengals have more talent on both sides of the ball. Um, and then on the NFC side, like you're going to go up against either an Eagles team with a head coach who's never who lacks the experience that they do, or you're going to go up against a coach who does have the experience, but with the seventh round rookie quarterback. Like whomever their matchup is for the rest of the year, I think that they have the edge. You know, I I was thinking about that going into today, and I was like, man. If the Bengals make the Super Bowl, they beat Kansas City and make Super Bowl again. Are they going to be favored? And I'm still, I'm still kind of kicking around in my head. I'm still a little unsure. I know that the Niners are starting Brock Purdy, seventh round rookie, but man, that team is loaded, and it's so going to be, so be really hard for me to pick against them because, like, I know we haven't we haven't even talked about the uh, Niners Cowboys game yet, but oh, we'll, we'll get to it. Don't you worry. <laughs> yeah, what they did to the Cowboys offense was just phenomenal like that it wasn't like that played poorly yes but the Niners defense put an offense that was scoring 40 points a game almost on the regular into like into a box 12 points like and one touchdown is insane in the divisional round of the playoffs and they forced them into doing things they really didn't want to you know when it comes down to the defensive scheming too like we've seen we know how good Fred Warner is by the way him keeping up with CD Lamb. That is oh my God. That is preposterous. Like, you don't, you can't do that in Madden. I don't care. We, we talk about how, like, Mahomes is in his own stratosphere when it comes to quarterback play. I think it's time we start talking about Fred Warner in terms of linebacker play being in just his own world. Because if you look at his, especially his advanced metrics, like, I don't remember at what point in the season it was. Um, I want to say it was around the Miami game where they were talking about um, the 49ers. Um, defense and how um the percentage of passes they allowed completed over the middle when fred warner's playing compared to when he's not playing like it was like a 16 percent difference it was astronomical just the difference what happens when he is there versus when you know he, he's not on the field it is absolutely fantastic what he does to a defense and just his his ability to make plays no matter where it's fantastic what he does but guys like demo lenore who's had um interceptions in consecutive games like they're having other guys step up they picked up uh, who's it Tayshawn Gibson at safety. They picked him up off the streets, and he's been playing really well. Um, that speaks to how well Kyle Shanahan is a head coach, but also D'Amico Ryan's as a defensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. And they're getting contribution from everybody. Dre Greenlaw's having an All-Pro year. You're getting contribution from Jordan Willis. They did have that penalty the other day that fans were very not happy with. <laughs> very mad, very mad at the penalty, but he, Jordan Willis playing really well. 
they're getting great play from Javon Kinlaw, who was a draft pick in, I believe, 2020, who still had it panned out till this year. And yeah. now he's just dominating in the run game. And they're just they're getting all these guys who play at such a high level at the right time. And it just makes it so hard to game plan and scheme against this team because they can roll waves of guys at you. Like Javon Kinlaw comes in with the second unit and Jordan Willis comes in. You can take Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead off the field and they're still getting pressure on you. Like that's insane to think about. And on the Cowboys side of it too, like, and I tweeted about this because like at this point, it feels like they've just kind of peaked with Dak and I, it might be a year early for them to say, okay, maybe we should consider other options because, you know, is Dak, are you better off with Derek Carr than Dak? I don't think so. Um, are they going to make a power move and trade for Aaron Rodgers? Probably not at this point in his career. And plus, I don't think Aaron would go there. But the point being, like, I just don't see this team getting much further than what they have with Dak Prescott. And I don't know, man. At some point, that front office has to start. Jerry Jones has to start asking himself that question because he's getting. You know, Lord only knows how much longer he's going to be uh, at the head of this table. You know, he's getting older um, and he wants to win. We know that. Um, but I think that that has to start being an internal conversation like, OK, should we start, you know, maybe planning for life after Dak? Yeah. And I think the biggest thing I took away for the Cowboys side is that team needs some juice. That team yeah. needs energy at the skill position. As soon as Tony Pollard went out in the game, oh, there, there goes all the juice. CeeDee Lamb is the only guy who can create some explosion after the catch. And when the Niners know that, when every other team knows that, they just put a grip on everybody else. Like Michael Gallup played really bad. And then you're relying on Dalton Schultz for explosive targets. And that's not Dalton Schultz. He's a fine tight end, but not when not in that type of role. He's not a field stretcher tight end. No. He is six-yard out routes, six-yard <laughs> curls. Every time Jack is throwing a curl route, it's Dalton Schultz six yards. But – they just need some kind of explosiveness in their skill room. I think they lost it when they traded Amari Cooper. Michael Gallup getting hurt didn't help at all. But I'm kind of refraining from like saying, like, hey, this might be the end of the DAC thing because this team offensively really was not built to succeed in the long term. They were built on extremely efficient death by five and six yard plays. That doesn't work against a team like the Niners who can just constrict no. everything and force you to beat them deep when you don't have guys like that. So they they desperately need guys who can stretch the field vertically, give them some kind of explosiveness offensively. Do you know what Ezekiel Elliott's cap hit is next year? Oh, God. Oh, no. It's going to make me so sad. This is, this is like a little version of The Price is Right. This is fun. Here, let me pull up the exact number because I know what like the approximate is, but I want to I want to get it exact for you. So next year, his cap hit six just over sixteen million dollars. Oh, no. Sixteen million seven hundred twenty thousand. Oh, no. They can only save I think four million, like a little bit less than five million, if they cut him. So there's no like real reason they're not saving any any money if they get rid of him. But if he's on the roster, he's taking up that much money and his dead cap is 11 million so like they're in a they're a handcuff to him and that is that is much of jerry's doing yep that is it's years of jerry's doing kind of coming to a head at this point where you see the offensive line starting to wear down a little bit tyron smith didn't play another full year but he played really well at right tackle you're starting to wonder like kind of where the future of the supporting cast goes from here you know Dak is going to be there 
Don't Dak is not getting traded. Dak no. is not getting cut. This they are tied to Dak until further notice. They are tied to Dak Prescott. But the supporting cast around Dak might be going through a little bit of a little bit of a change. You know, yeah, no, this isn't this isn't the you know 2016, 2017 Cowboys offensive line, especially. Yep, it's not the same offensive line. It's definitely not the same receiver group. This is it's gonna be interesting to see what they do in the offseason to kind of both maintain a defense that played really well against yes. San Francisco and try and upgrade an offense that desperately needs it. Yeah, I mean, they tried to bring in, you know, they signed James Washington from Pittsburgh, but they waived him uh, a few weeks back. So, like, and this isn't an especially deep free agent class when it comes to receivers, too. Like, uh, Juju's expected to be a free agent. I think uh, MVS from Kansas City is potentially going to be. So, if they want a guy, you know, maybe you go out and trade for a guy like DeAndre Hawkins, or maybe you try to get a guy like T. Higgins or Chris Godwin, somebody like that who can be, like, a really reliable target. Um, and a 1B, not necessarily a number two to CD Lamb, because, you know, we've seen plenty of instances where, you know, 1A, 1B can work. And I think if they do that, then they'll be, then they'll definitely be cooking. But yeah, having that lack of explosiveness definitely hurts them. Uh, what does Mike McCarthy's future in Dallas look like to you? <laughs> Man, it's, it's going to be a real rough offseason for Mike McCarthy. Like, if you're Dallas, are you better just booting him and promoting Dan Quinn? Man, I didn't. I never. I haven't thought about that. He's getting, you know, talked about for head coaching, head coaching jobs and whatnot. If you're Dallas, you definitely don't want to lose him. And I think that if they've peaked with Dak, they've absolutely peaked with Mike McCarthy. So why not, you know, promote a guy who seems to be well liked in the building and is good at what he does? And I, I think that that's a conversation that should be had. I think it definitely is because when you look at this Cowboys team over the past couple of years, this team has looked like a lot of the Mike McCarthy teams we saw in Green Bay. They're very penalized. We Especially saw near the end of the, the Mike McCarthy time in Green Bay, yes. They're, they're very penalized. We saw that happen in the San Francisco game. They had a lot of penalties. The fourth down decision, again, this is Mike McCarthy. This is always what Mike McCarthy does. So it is going to be a very interesting conversation around his future. If I'm guessing, he's probably going to stay another year. Because I think Jerry Jones said after the game, Mike McCarthy is safe for now. But it's definitely something you have to consider, especially if Dan Quinn ends up leaving. And now it's like, hey, yeah, it's really on you now. Safe for now. I don't, do you, are you a wrestling guy? Yes. yes. Did you watch the Roman Reigns thing uh, on Raw last night? Yeah, <laughs> You're not guilty for now. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's Mike McCarthy right now. He's. Uh, man, comparing Sami Zayn to Mike McCarthy doesn't feel right. But in this in this brief, you know, little bubble, that that's what he is. At the and moment. this in this little thought experiment, we're kind of thinking Mike McCarthy is taking a steel chair to uh, Nick Sirianni <laughs> in, in the championship game. So agreed. Um, Giants, Eagles, very lopsided. Uh, the Giants were out of it very early. Um, they looked like the Giants have passed in this game. And obviously, you know, football is a week-to-week sport. Things happen. The Eagles are a much more talented team on both sides of the ball. Um, and the Giants, I think, were somewhat playing with house money. No one expected them to be there. They were just happy to be there. They got a playoff win this year, like tip of the cap to them. Um, but now, now the question becomes, all right, Saquon Barkley is going to be a free agent. He reportedly turned down a deal that would pay him $12 million a year. Daniel Jones, you got to figure out what they're going to do with him. Um, if you are Joe Shen, are you attempting to bring back Saquon, Daniel Jones, or both right now? I don't know how possible it is, but I'm trying to bring back both. I mm-hmm. think 
I think Saquon is the engine of that offense, but I do think Daniel Jones played rather well considering the circumstances and everything he was given. I mean, Isaiah Hodgins was their number one receiver this year. And they picked him up in November. They had Richie James playing. Of the Bills practice squad, he was their number one receiver in the playoffs. He was there. He had 105 yards against the against Minnesota. <laughs> and, and they picked him up in November around Thanksgiving. So it's he played well considering what they were getting what he was given, but I don't know if I'm giving him like the exclusive top tier starter money. I think a mid-level QB contract is fine for Daniel Jones. Cause that's what he is. He is a mid-level QB in the NFL. I, you definitely know the engine is Saquon Barkley in that run game. And that's something like, Hey, not every quarterback can do. Not every quarterback is going to be able to make all those yards off scrambles. Like Daniel Jones did. That was a huge part of their offense. So I try and keep both but I don't know how feasible it is. When I think of Daniel Jones, I think he's like a, this Giants team reminds me a lot of that Jaguars team that went to the AFC Championship game in 2017, where everybody was kind of just waiting for the quarterback to do something wrong. Now, Daniel you know, Jones is better than Blake Bortles. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to say that he's you know that bad. Um, I do think that he does have a very clear ceiling. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at the quarterbacks that are going to be available this offseason, as you hear a giant 18-wheeler roll by outside, did you hear that? <laughs> if you look at the guys that are going to be available like if you're joe shen you're asking yourself okay should we bring back daniel jones or are we better suited bringing in a guy like Derek carr you know would that help us become better um so i do think that those are questions that that much like a lot of other teams with you know quarterback questions are going to be asking themselves i like daniel jones i uh, i applaud kafka and brian dable for leaning into what he does well which is run the football and let the offense develop off of that. Like, especially against Minnesota, they were playing a ton of man coverage. And I think the game going in was like, all right, Danny, if you see a man run, <laughs> because they know that they were horrible against stopping it. Um, it was it much a one read. If he's not open, go. Yep. Yep. But, you know, you can only do that so many times, though, against so many teams. Um, and that's the thing that worries me about Daniel Jones is, yes, he cut down on the turnovers a lot. And I think that Brian Dable might just be like a guy who just gets rid of turnovers because he did it with Josh Allen and then he leaves and then Josh Allen's turnovers skyrocket right back up. Daniel Jones was the worst in the league at turning the ball over. And then he, you know, is one of the best at protecting the ball this year. Um, so I, I do think that when it comes to the money, though, I don't know. I mean, well, what's that look like for you? Because I don't think they're going to, if you franchise tag him, it's $45 million. That ain't worth it. What do you, I mean, 30, 33 million a year, something around there. Man, per year, I was thinking around the 2025 20, million range. Just I wonder, the, the mid-level quarterback contract is a very perplexing thing because I, I feel like it's almost a thing that, I mean, is it really a thing right now? For for like non one year prove it guys, I feel like we're gonna get to the point in the offseason where I think Gino and Daniel Jones possibly get the yes. same kind of contract, yeah. and that's kind of the mid level QB contract that I'm thinking because they're they're good starters. They're yeah, that's what, yeah, really well, but it gives them an option in case like hey, if things go south, like it gives them an out just in case. Where the Giants like hey. If this Daniel Jones thing doesn't work out next year, you're in prime position where, hey, you can try and trade up and get a quarterback depending on the situation. So if you look at cap hits right now, if he were to be in that range of like 20 to 25, like Matthew Stafford's only a $20 million cap hit right now. Russell Wilson's a 22, but that'll go up next year, obviously. 
Um, so, I mean, yeah, Marcus Mariota was a 14 and a half. Uh, Joe Burrow is obviously on a rookie deal. So somewhere in there, and you know, it comes down to, all right, is Daniel Jones willing to do that? Which I think he will be. And he seems like the type of guy who would be willing to do that. So I don't know. It's going to be an, inter- an interesting off season for the Giants with, um, with those two big questions looming. Um, there was another team in that game, though, the Philadelphia Eagles, who looked absolutely unstoppable. Jalen Hurts' shoulder looks really good. We saw that very early on with that deep shot to Devontae Smith. Um, uh, who's that? Was that over Dory Jackson, I want to say, of Jordan Love? Or Julian, Julian Love, not Jordan Love. Yeah. Um, he looked fantastic. The offense looked really good. Smith had a touchdown. Um, they were much like Cincinnati early on. I mean, it was points early and often. Put the Giants back against the wall. The Giants went for it, I think, on like fourth and eight on in, in Philadelphia territory uh, instead of punting and that kind of when they didn't get that. I think everybody was like, all right, we could be in for a blowout. And that, that's what happened. Um, if you're Philadelphia, I mean, you're facing you're hosting the NFC Championship game. You're facing the 49ers whose defense is very good. Their offense is loaded with talent. Um, this might be one of the more like in terms of quality of talent and evenly matched teams on paper this is one of the better nfc championship games that we've had in a very long time i think so when you're just looking at the depth of talent on both teams like this is kind of like an all-star game it's like <laughs> like pro bowl rosters just clashing to go to the super bowl yeah this is a pro bowl roster and this isn't even like the super bowl yet but i think the thing that stood out the most with the eagles and it stood out the entire season is they have so many ways they can beat you yeah. offensively if you want to try and stay back in too high and eliminate the explosive passes, they will destroy you in the run game with the best offensive line of football. And they have four legitimate run, running options, including Jalen Hurts, who can do significant damage on the ground. So then if you try and bring a guy up and try and disrupt the run game, they're just going to hit you over the head with explosive passes. And they have guys who can win those one-on-ones with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. I think there's a perfect drive that's like kind of it's that kind of shows that is they just ran like inside zone for mm-hmm. like six straight plays got into the red zone they, they couldn't stop it they're like until you stop this we're gonna keep doing it then on the on the play in the uh, red zone they do the inside zone action the nickel runs over to try and stop the inside zone they just flip it out to Devontae Smith and he scores a touchdown it's like dang what are you even supposed to do with this like all you can say is like man that's really that's tough like you gotta just gotta charge that one to the game. You, there's really nothing you can do, and then their defense has so many ways of getting pressure. I think this was that was the biggest difference between the Vikings game and the Eagles game. They they have the same structure defense schematically, but yeah. the Eagles have so many different dudes who can get pressure. Yeah, we're not just one guy. They have five dudes who can all be at on the field at the same time rushing the passer. And that helps the DBs so much. And they don't even really need help. They can play man and be fine. They can do a lot of the coverage stuff where a lot of sacks might have been coverage sacks where nobody's open and it's letting the pressure get home. They're just so complete. And playing at the right time, you can tell that Jalen Hurts is healthy, Lane Johnson's healthy. It's going to be a heavyweight Haas fight in the NFC Championship game. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. You know, Harry Roseman had a hell of an offseason when he signed Hassan Reddick and traded for A.J. Brown. But like even in, in the middle of the season, he trades for Robert Quinn. And then just to get him some veteran depth uh, on the interior, he signs Indomitian Seuss, signs Linval Joseph. Like those aren't 
that is a crazy season to have like over a spread of like two or three off seasons. He did it in a span of like seven months and it's absolutely insane. Um, and you touched on like the different ways that they can beat you. I always come back to the Tennessee game with that because it seemed very imperative that the Titans were saying, you will not beat us running the football. And the Eagles said, okay, <laughs> we'll just throw it instead. <laughs> and they did. Um, so uh, I'm going to be very intrigued to see how the 49ers can try to slow this down. Um, because if the Eagles have any sort of like offensive consistency, they have the defense that can hold the 49ers playmakers in check. Absolutely. They have the guys who I do wonder, I do have a little bit of questions about their linebackers in the past game. I know Kyle Shanahan sees their linebackers in the past game is like rubbing his hands together like an evil. He's player. like, well, George, I know you're going to be this game, bud. Yeah, this is going to be a heavy use of George Kittle and then Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel on the slot. Running just mesh, hammering just hammering them over <laughs> and over. But one thing that they can do, and one thing that the Cowboys kind of did, is they can have that positional versatility to where the Niners were playing in their 21 personnel, and the Cowboys matched that with having a bunch of safeties on the field with J. Ron Curse, and they were able to stop the run really well because they had Jonathan Hankins who played really well. That's going to be the key to the entire game. How can the Eagles stop the run? How can the Eagles stop that 21 personnel? Because for the most part, the Cowboys did it for at least three and a half quarters, and they just got tired. That's that's really not how the Cowboys are built. The Eagles are kind of built a little bit more to kind of have sustained success against the Niners, at least up front in the run game. It's going to be a very fun NFC Championship game. I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, we'll touch a little bit on Brock Purdy before we move on to Kansas City and, and Jacksonville. Uh, the offense... Uh, that was his toughest test. I mean, you look at from when he took over to now, I mean, they were playing a lot of, all right, it's the Raiders, it's Seattle's defense, uh, it's Miami's defense, which wasn't very good all year. Um, but even though he didn't put up the numbers that were crazy and he was still making the throws that they needed him to make, uh, George Kittle makes that crazy circus catch uh, that was kind of just an improv play where he wasn't really part of the read. He just saw an opportunity and Brock saw him taking it. Um it would be a hell of a story, man, if he can just keep, if they keep keep this ride going and uh, they ride him to the Super Bowl. Um, I'm very much looking forward to seeing how he handles this Philadelphia Eagles defense, which, again, it seems like it keeps getting harder and harder as it goes. But that's how it's going to be this week. This is going to be his toughest test. It's definitely going to be the toughest test. Um, one thing that I noticed with Brock Purdy in the Cowboys game is. Last year, Cowboys and Niners played and Jimmy G made the really bad mistake throwing the interception, got hurt. Jimmy G has the uh, has that kind of debil- debilitating trait where he's like, yeah, I'm just going to throw this right to the middle of coverage. It's the third quarter, and I haven't messed up yet. Well, <laughs> here we go. Uh, here we go. He, he looks at Kyle Shanahan and he's like, I'm sorry. This is what I'm all about. <laughs> Brock Purdy hasn't made that colossal mistake yet. He almost did. There was the play against the Cowboys where he's like running to his left, then does a little spin. And oh, yeah. the, the, it, as soon as I saw that, I was like, if I if you take away like the the uniform colors and everything and told me that that was Zach Wilson, I would have believed you. Oh, absolutely. Like that, just did like the pirouette on the left on the left sideline. And luckily it wasn't intercepted. But yeah, I, I know I'm exactly so, what you're talking oh, about. No, like he is going to do something incredibly <laughs> stupid, but then he just throws it away. Yeah. Like, that, that's good. That's fine. Like you can do that. But one thing that I thought that Kyle Shanahan did really well is he adjusted to what the Cowboys were showing him. So he basically was like, yeah, if you're going to play zone against all this, we're going to go empty. 
I think Brock Purdy is a little bit more comfortable out of empty, and we're just going to hammer Anthony Barr with uh, Brandon Ayuk and Christian McCaffrey and say, good luck. Like, you have fun trying to guard Brandon Ayuk and Christian McCaffrey. I think on the last drive when they scored a touchdown, two of the critical plays were there was a Brandon Ayuk slant where he was he was up on uh, Anthony Barr because they were playing zone. Then there was a Christian McCaffrey slant where they motioned him out to empty, but he was in a stack, so he got a free release. So that's something that I think can be taken over into the Eagles game, depending on how the Eagles show their coverage. But it really, for the Niners, it just shows how many guys they have who can just take over a game. It's like it's like playing 2K where you have the takeover mode and you just click the button and your player goes into takeover and they just make every shot. That is what the Niners are. They have a bunch of guys who go into takeover mode. George Kittle went into takeover mode. Brandon Hugh can go into takeover mode. Christian McCaffrey late in, late in the game. They just dominated on the ground. They got to a lot of counter. They got to because the Cowboys are showing a lot of five man fronts. Counter really good against five man fronts. So it's going to be interesting to see how Kyle Shanahan adjusts to an Eagles defense that will show them different fronts, but also show them different coverages and kind of mix up what Brock Purdy likes to do. Because one thing that's true, like Brock Purdy hasn't thrown the debilitating interception yet, but he's tried. He's <laughs> throw that interception many times like the uh Javon Diggs interception that was almost almost intercepted yes yes he tried to throw the debilitating interception I think that was the one that was deflected at the line of scrimmage and it hit Diggs like right in the chest I think he just noticed it like a half second too late like I just wonder is this going to be the game where the almost interceptions become actual interceptions mm. that that I think that's going to be the deciding factor in this like if the 49ers protect the ball like if you look at Purdy's stat line, like he's had an interception almost every game that he's played, but it's, you know, the defense has bailed him out. That's the only mistake he's really made. Like you can afford to make one mistake a game, unless you're playing the Philadelphia Eagles who just have stars all over the field. Um, I'm going to be interested to see too, like if the Eagles get up like 10 nothing, 13 nothing, 13 3, like we haven't really seen Brock Purdy have to play from behind yet. And that's going to be something that's going to be uh, if his back's against the ball, how's he going to respond? So there's a lot of turning factors that are going to come out uh, in the NFC championship game. Very much looking forward to it. Um, we'll shift gears to the first game that was played this weekend. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars traveling to Arrowhead to take on the Chiefs. Um, very early on, Patrick Mahomes gets his ankle fallen on by Arden Key. High ankle sprain. Um, Chad Henney comes in for a drive after the Jaguars punt. It's like inside their own two. Um, and everybody's harped on this, but it, it deserves mentioning the fact that Andy Reid uh, called a pass play right away. I think that just instilled confidence in Henny. Um, and Isaiah Pacheco took over for the rest of the drive. I think they ran it six times with Pacheco that drive, including that 38 yard scamper that got him in the red zone. Kelsey gets a second touchdown of the day, which, by the way, ginormous day for Travis Kelsey uh, against the Jaguars defense. Um, we talked about the Bills. Let's talk about the Jaguars. Talk about. Two completely different feelings from two exact same outcomes. If you're the Jaguars, you're just happy to be there. Start off the year three and seven. You're coming off, you're having Urban Meyer as your head coach, and you were looking at, all right, you know, if we get seven wins this year and look respectable, cool. We carry some momentum into 2023 and try to build off that. They're division champions. They win a playoff game and the third largest comeback in the history of the NFL playoffs and hung with the Kansas City Chiefs for the most part. Uh, if you're the Jaguars, you feel fantastic going into the offseason after this. Absolutely. I think you go into the offseason and you're kind of like, hey, we have we know what we have. We have a quarterback. 
that is the one. We have a quarterback. We have some guys we can build around. We're bringing in Calvin Ridley. I know there's there's going to be some things that they need still need to fix. Like this team is far from perfect. Sure. But getting into the divisional round with a far from perfect team and being in that game, like they they were in that game yeah. up until that drive with Chad Henney. They were in that game. Even then, like they were driving with like seven minutes left uh, in the red zone until Jamal Agnew fumbled. Like if they score there, it's a one possession game again, and they're still back in it. Yeah, and I think the one thing that Doug Peterson has done for the Jaguars is he just offered that stability and yeah. that knowing that you have an adult in the room and that nothing is out of plan. Nothing is nothing isn't planned. Nothing is like oh we're just gonna do this on a whim. Like we didn't practice this. Like. I can legitimately say, like, as a Jaguars fan, you're watching the team and like, yeah, I know what we're doing here. I, I see why this is happening. Right. So it's going to be interesting to see how they address the defense. Um, they really need to get better play out of Devin Lloyd and the second level group. That's really how Travis Kelsey got all those catches. It was just their linebackers are so bad against tight ends. Finding holes in the zone. He was like that against them in week 10. They he's mm-hmm. found holes in zones. Isolated him against Rayshon Jenkins, which you really just – you can't leave Rayshon Jenkins. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're leaving Rayshon Jenkins on, on Travis Kelsey, it's Raps, man. Yeah, I love Rayshon Jenkins, but that's not that's not what he can do. That's not. Oh, he, can play, he can play for my team any day of the week. Don't get me wrong. Um, but, yeah, that, that the mismatches that the, 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 the Chiefs created just against the Jaguars defense, that was, that was the biggest thing. Kelsey went off. How many catches did he have? Do you know off the top of your head? I can't remember. He had 14 catches. Good Lord. He had 14 gadgets. I think he had like 18 targets. Like everything was healthy. And I I get it because the way the Jaguars defense plays, they're going to play in base a lot. Three down linemen. They're playing the three, four, three down linemen, Josh Allen, Trevon Walker, both middle linebackers on the field. Mm. So when the Chiefs go into like 12 personnel, the Jaguars are matching it with base and basically like, hey, your linebackers are going to have to go- cover our tight ends. That really didn't work. That didn't work at all. I think the first drive of the game, they I think the Chiefs left 12 personnel maybe twice. Mm. Jaguars were in base for all those plays. So they just – they find ways to beat you. They find ways to find your biggest weaknesses and just hammer at it. And then Patrick Mahomes is just insane. Like, he's, he's insane. There's there's no other word. There's no more words to say how good Patrick Mahomes is. I think uh, Sam Hoppin put out a, a graph today, graph the other day where he said after he suffered the ankle sprain, Patrick Mahomes averaged 0.28 EPA per play. Good God. Patrick Mahomes on one leg was better than everybody else at, at the position in the league except Patrick Mahomes with both legs. Like, <laughs> what are you what do you do against that? Like, I was watching the game, and, and I'm just like, man, there are some plays where I'm just like, man, you can't do anything about that. Like, you, no. you, there's nothing you can do. They, like, he's running those, like, hot plays and hot passes. They're running options. Like, they, the Chiefs are the only team in the NFL who can one week just hit you with stuff that looks like, you know, spread Big 12 football, and then the next look like, like the 1968 Navy team. Like, it is insane what they do. Um, and credit to Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, and the entire you know, Chiefs coaching staff and Mahomes for being how excellent he is. Um, but yeah, that's if the Bengals are going to have one advantage, obviously it's Mahomes with the bad ankle. Um, and we know the story going into it is that the Chiefs 
lost three times to the Bengals last year. Um, in terms of how they can exploit Cincinnati, uh, they're going to need a big pl- big day from Travis Kelsey. They're going to need one of these receivers to go off. Like whether it, like Juju had a bigger game um, uh, against against Jacksonville. MVS had the touchdown, but that was his only catch on the day. Uh, Kadarius Tony seems to be more of a focal point going forward. Dude, talk about a guy who's fun to watch. Kadarius Tony is so so fun. He is. He's made of rubber. I I don't know how else to explain it. They just and throw damn the New York Giants for trading him. They to throw the Chiefs of all of all, all places. On screens, they get him on jet sweeps and just like, hey man, go make a play. And what he's brought is a level of physicality to that receiver room, to that skill position room that I think was missing. Like. They they needed that physicality. They needed that edge at receiver because now instead of having the Tyree kill, just everybody go deep and then like have Travis Kelsey operate. Like, no, now it's Travis Kelsey operate, but everybody else is doing the tough over the middle stuff, mm-hmm. which makes this offense even more difficult to stop because, you know, Patrick Mahomes can still do that. Throw it deep, crazy Patrick Mahomes stuff. But now he's even more efficient and just, dicing teams up with five to six yard completions that it makes it insanely difficult. So I think the chiefs game plan for both sides of the ball, main, the big thing is they're going to need a big Chris Jones day and big Chris Jones day. I know that the Bengals off the line just played a really fantastic game against the bills. The bills they, don't have a Chris Jones new, though. This new offensive line has not seen <laughs> Chris Jones yet. And one thing that Steve Spagnuolo did and one thing he did against the Jaguars is he not only will use Chris Jones in one-on-one pass rush situations, but he will find the weakest link of your offensive line and then just hammer it with Chris Jones, with blitzes. One thing that he did to the Jaguars, he would blitz, but he wouldn't bring DBs from the outside, like outside the tackle. He would bring them from inside. He'd have them loop inside attacking the guard in the center. So you'd have Chris Jones crashing towards the center, which means the guard and the center both had to occupy him because, yeah, that's Chris Jones. And then the various knees just coming flying through that unaccounted gap and cracking your quarterback. So it's just it's a phenomenal game plan and a phenomenal way of knowing who you have and what you're good at by Steve Spagnuolo, who just seems to get great play out of his defense at this point in time every year. Robert Mays from The Athletic uh, on The Athletic Football Show, they were doing their yearly awards, and he gave his Defensive Player of the Year to Chris Jones. And I'm trying to find the exact stat. Um, Of his 15 and a half sacks, I think seven and a half of them came in crunch time. Um, Like, he's their closer, man. Like, if you need need a big play and you're on defense, either Kansas City Chiefs, you can always count on 95 being there to, uh, to disrupt things. And... It was early on in the game. Frank Clark got a sack, but if you watch the interior pressure provided by Chris Jones and just how much attention is required uh, by by the opposing team just to keep him from disrupting things, like yes, Frank Clark got the sack, and Frank Clark's great in his own right, but Chris Jones is just out of this world and uh, maybe a little bit underrated when we talk about you know really really good you know play disruptors in this league. Um, so that is going to be fun to watch. Is Okay, is Chris Jones going to eat against this Bengals offensive line? Um, and if he does, what are the adjustments that the Bengals are going to make? Because if there's anybody that has become like, I saw somebody say, I can't remember exactly who, um, that Joe Burrow is the closest thing that we're going to see to an athletic Tom Brady. Like, if there's anybody who can adjust and just get the ball out quick, it's going to be Joe Burrow, and it's going to be these receivers who, you know, 
it's it's going to be Chase. It's going to be Higgins, but it's also going to be Trent Irwin. It's going to be Tyler Boyd. They're going to utilize Hayden Hurst. Um, like they've got, they are a very deep team in terms of their skill positions. And um, like I said, if Chris Jones starts disrupting things on um, a play by play basis, and they need to uh, you know get the ball out quicker, the Bengals are very well equipped to do that. Yep. And one thing that I think the Bengals are better built for than the Jaguars is. They have the guys to attack the Kansas City DBs, which is probably their weakest point of that defense just because they're young and they've been injured this season. This is really like yeah. hey, you're getting thrown into the fire now. But they have the guys to attack them on the outside. So, yeah, Chris Jones is going to be a huge factor in this game. But if Joe Burrow just even has enough time to isolate that one-on-one matchup, it really makes me wonder, like, does Spags blitz? Does he bring pressure? Or does he just try and win with four? Because if he tries to bring pressure and it doesn't get there, then you're leaving your DBs out to dry. And yeah. you don't want to do that against Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. So the chess match between Zach Taylor, Brian Callahan, and C. Spagnolo is going to be really fun. Yeah, and I remember last year against Baltimore, like the biggest thing for the Ravens, they just were able to drive down the field is because the Chiefs didn't change what they were doing in terms of what they were just sitting in that same zone the entire game. Um, so I'm going to be interested to see, like, are, are they going to sit in a lot of too high? Are they going to go, you know, one safety and just load the box a little bit more to take away the underneath stuff and try to get open up gaps for guys to get through? Like, that's going to be this is going to be a big test for the Bengals offensive line. But if they do get enough time, it's going to be a big test for guys like Trent McDuffie, who are going to be I'm going to be also interested to see how they how they decide that matchup, how Spags is going to, you know, align who against who defensively. So. If Joe does have enough time to just cook and McDuffie isn't playing well and Chris Jones isn't getting there as much as he needs to, like they're going to need a big day from 15, and that's going to be a lot to ask when you're dealing with a high ankle sprain. Absolutely. It's it's shaping up for another really, really fun duel between these two guys. Like I hope so. It's going to be it's going to be fun to watch. Patrick Mahomes still on one leg. Just He was still so good. He was still so good on one it's leg. It's not fair, man. Like, I hope that people and I understand we do this, you know, because we're in football media and whatever, and we're going to do it. People make these tier lists and these tiers and stuff. I don't want anybody in the same tier as Patrick Mahomes. Like he is his own. He is his own tier. And um, Patrick Mahomes and everybody else. Yes. And oh, look, we're going to ha- we're going to sit through an offseason of all right. Is it going to be is it Burrow or Mahomes or is it Burrow or Allen? Like. I already have a headache from everything that's going to happen, um, but I'm just going to enjoy this and hope that it's, you know, a 35-33, 35-32 just shootout. Both guys play really well. I hope we get it from both from both championship games because we very much have the potential to do so. Absolutely. It's going to be it's going to be one of those really fun weekends of football where you just sit you sit back after the games like, man, that was awesome. We get to do that again. Just like sitting there like, oh my goodness, I need a cigarette after that. That was just oh, <laughs> was incredible. Definitely. Uh, hey, now that uh, now that the Jaguars are eliminated, well, I don't know if there's a sports book that has these odds, but uh, what are the odds that Trevor Lawrence makes an appearance on AEW television before the NFL season starts? Oh, I I'd take that hammer those odds. I don't know oh, me too. Hammer them. It's if they do like another stadium stampede match, like he'll have at least a cameo role. He'll have a cameo. There'll there'll be a Doug Peterson cameo in there. I think he's. <laughs> Doug Peterson's that kind of guy. He'll, he'll, he'll yes. do some fun stuff. Um, I definitely think you're going to get a Roy Robertson Harris, though. Yeah. 
that's going to be the guy. You're, you're the unexpected guy that's going to show up. I could just hear Excalibur now in commentary. Oh my goodness, that's that's Roy Robertson Harris from the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> it's gonna be so exciting. I'm just be like, yeah. Oh, that is fantastic. Uh, if you can't spoil them yet, don't worry about it. But do you have picks for this weekend? Who do you think will play in the Super Bowl? Um, man, I I really don't want to pick against Patrick Mahomes, but if he's not a hundred percent, I'm kind of leaning the Bengals mm-hmm. and. I've, I said it, I think, midway through the season. I think the Niners are the favorites in the uh, NFC. I'm going to stick with that. I'm going Bengals-Niners in the Super Bowl, and that should be re- that's also be really fun. But I wouldn't be surprised if the other teams win. That's where I'm leaning right now, too, and very much the same feeling. Like, will it shock me if we get Kansas City-Philadelphia or a different combination of the two? No. Um, just right now, man, the Bengals look unstoppable, and – I think they're more talented in terms of their skill position guys and just the, the playmakers that they have on defense than Kansas City. Um, but like like you said, would it shock me if Mahomes just goes off and, and gets to another Super Bowl? No. Um, and then in terms of San Francisco, it's like we talked about. If Brock Purdy plays as close to a flawless game as they can, I think that they win. Um, so it's going to be a fun, a, a very fun Sunday. Hopefully it lives up to the hype. JP Acosta, my friend, it's very, very fun to be joined by you. Uh, anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Of course, follow me at Acosta32 underscore JP. I write for SB Nation. I do a lot of NFL work. I'm out. I'm also going to Mobile for the Senior Bowl. So, Oh, let me buy you a beer in Mobile then. I'll see you there. Absolutely. Absolutely. I will be there. I'll be doing content from the Senior Bowl. So be on the lookout for that too. Oh, in that case, my friend, I will see you next week. Very fun doing this with you. Everybody, thank you so much for joining us as the Pump Fake. We'll see you again before championship weekend. We'll be here Friday or Saturday. We'll I'll tweet it out or whatever. But regardless, thank you for joining us. We'll see you later on in the week. It's Pump Fake. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.